All right. The uh, first few days of the NCAA uh, tournament, the parts that count Thursday through Sunday are over. Not to say the first four doesn't count per se, but I can go either way. Uh, yeah, so we got that. We got down to 16. So from 64 to 16 in four days, obviously, as it typically is, if you're unfamiliar with the tournament, you shouldn't be listening to this. But, uh, yeah. Uh, all right, where do I start? Let's see. So we got the top headlines from the first and second rounds. I just kind of spitballing. I wrote some stuff down. I think the top headline is probably the fact that 16 seed Fairleigh Dickinson beat Purdue in the first round on Friday night uh, in a game where – um, I guess speed mattered more than size. Yeah, where it proved that the Big Ten sucks. Uh, the the Big Ten game plan does not carry over well into March. It so. wasn't the reverse effect potential that I thought we would see with the Big Ten, where the conference this season we knew was not very good, and then some of the teams turned it up in March, and only one team did that, and it's completely unsurprising to, you know, geniuses like myself, uh, <laughs> in terms of who that team was. Yeah, being Michigan that, State, team but, that doesn't have a dominant big, so well or a big that they use mainly. Uh, yeah, Fairly Dickinson had a game plan. Their coach uh, instilled hope, I think, the most in his team that they could beat them. Uh, Purdue wanted to act like they used it as bulletin board material, and then they punched their bulletin board. So uh, there's other Big Ten teams that don't run their offense through bigs that had success Penn state. Yeah. And Illinois doesn't run their offense through a big and they lost, but that's just because they're not good. Yeah. That's because so, they match up with Arkansas too. So. Well, the Illinois is also not good. I think Illinois probably loses to every eight seed. Probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fairly Dickinson had a good game plan. They, they pressured the freshman guards. Uh, they they fronted Edie, and then they had somebody on the backside the whole time, and they said, go ahead and beat us from three. And Purdue failed miserably at shooting three that game. I think they were five of 26 or something. Yeah, like I think the lawyer made three himself. Yeah. So, yeah, Smith was bad. Gillis was afraid to shoot. Yep. Yeah, I mean, what can you do? I think enough people have talked about that game, so we can just move on. Sure. 15-seed uh, Princeton – Took down two seed Arizona, my national champion. Brilliant pick there, <laughs> and uh, and they also beat Missouri on Saturday. So yeah. uh, Princeton getting their first trip uh, to the to the Sweet Sixteen since the nineties, I believe. Um, I didn't do my exact stat statting on this because I was more so focused on the fact that the South region is either going to have a first time Final Four team or a Princeton team that or Princeton school that went to the final four in 1965. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think Princeton didn't they get to the sweet 16 in like the late nineties. I, I think that happened. I, I want to say everybody said that this was probably the, the weakest of the, of the regions. And it, I mean, kind of shows one, five, six, 15, make it to the sweet 16 out of it. So, yeah, I mean, the four seed was bad. Virginia was not good. So that's, that's number one. Number two, I would say uh, Arizona just couldn't make any shots down the stretch against a Princeton team that has some shot makers. Yeah, those boys can shoot. Baylor was vulnerable because they couldn't defend, and Creighton's a much better team right now than a six seed normally is, and Creighton was a top ten preseason team, and we're finally starting to see some of that, yeah. some of why I believed in them early season. Yeah, um, we were all in on Creighton, so. Yeah, this is actually Princeton's first Sweet 16 since 1967. Okay. So they did make a couple runs in the late 90s when they got to the second round, but uh, fell short to Mississippi State in 96 and Michigan State in 98. You know, I'm just glad my my Ivy League team's dominating. Uh, all these You should be taking them for for picking them over Yale. You should be taking somewhat of a victory lap. I mean, That's you right. you were all over Princeton for the Ivy League tournament. That's right. I don't know if you'd watch them play before the Ivy League tournament, but that's all right. This year. <laughs> uh, so I think their margin of victory being what it is, is probably pretty high for a 15 seed as well. Plus 19. They yeah. beat Missouri by 15. 
Yeah, they, um, they embarrassed Missouri. Well, Missouri was always vulnerable. If they couldn't make shots. Kobe Brown was bad in that game. And, and Princeton just – you could tell that they wanted it more, too. They crashed the boards. Um, I think they were up 20 rebounds at one time in that game. Like yeah, I'm curious to see what happens to Missouri. You know, first year with Dennis Gates, had a team of, like, almost all seniors – uh, 125 games. I, I think recruiting and transfer portals will be very important for them. Um, then you also had uh, Duke absolutely obliterate Oral Roberts in the 512. Uh, no 512 upsets this year's. Yeah. Duke beat Oral Roberts, St. Mary's beat VCU, Miami beat Drake, and San Diego State beat Charleston. So none of those. I, I Like I said in the bracket breakdown, I was hoping Oral Roberts would get a better matchup. I don't know what that better matchup would have been. Uh, maybe I guess Miami just because Miami doesn't defend, I guess would be the only one, even though Miami's a good tournament team as well. If we, as we've seen, uh, and then Duke lost to Tennessee in the second round. Duke looked young in that game. Uh, Tennessee got 27 points from Kumwa, who I don't know if he's even, has he ever scored 27 points this career? Certainly not <laughs> one of their better scoring options. Uh, but I mean that game kind of got away from Duke late. Um, it was 20, 27, 21 at the half, and then it was a nine point lead going into the final ten minutes, and then they won the final ten minutes by four. So a, a thirteen point win for Tennessee. Olivier Kumwa, fourth year at Tennessee, his uh, season high was twenty seven against. Uh, he scored twenty seven points against Texas. So he seems to show up in the big game. So ties a career high in the second round of the tournament. And uh, the two times, you know, you get a guy like that, you lose Zakai Ziegler, which Tennessee did, kind of their anchor in terms of perimeter defense and a solid point guard despite being a little bit undersized. That doesn't matter. You look at Marquise Noel from from Kansas State. And uh, Kumwa rising to the occasion twice this year. This is a Tennessee team that beat Texas by 11 and then kind of fell apart a little bit. The metrics still love uh, what Tennessee has put on tape and uh, maybe not on tape, but just the the little numbers, the analytics for Tennessee are still good. So Kumwa, 27 points against Texas, 27 points against Duke. Big game player. We'll see what he does against FAU. Um, And a non-shocker, like I said, was Virginia losing to Furman. The way they lost was surprising, but not the result of the actual game. The fact that Kia Clark, who's maybe one of the smartest guards in the country, one of the most experienced guards in the country, just throws a terrible pass from the court, just chucks it up. Yeah. Was... And it gets intercepted into a JP Pegus, Peguse three <laughs> ball. And uh, Furman then got destroyed by San Diego State. But hey, they won a game. So there you go. Uh, the 8 9 results. Here, uh, Maryland outlasted West Virginia after a terrible start. Kedrian Johnson had 27 for West Virginia. Eric Stevenson probably lost in that game, for being honest. Uh, Auburn, too athletic for Iowa. The Hawkeyes losing this round of 64 for the second straight season. Still no Sweet 16s under Fran McCaffrey for Iowa. So what can you do, really? I don't really care. Um <laughs> Uh, Illinois can't score points, and Arkansas handled them. That's all we got to say about that. No surprise. Yeah. Anyone who isn't a moron could have seen that coming. Um, and FAU came back to beat Memphis late. So FAU, we'll get to them in a little bit, but thirty-three wins right now. Yeah, they are. Uh, they're 12. good. I think, and I think a lot of people, you know, they didn't think Purdue was going to do much, but they, I think everybody thought Memphis was going to be the team that upset Purdue and. FAU proved they belong, I guess. Yeah, I mean, FDU played them tough as well last night. Uh, FAU yeah. kind of ran away towards the end. They got a big game from uh, Janelle uh, uh, Davis, yeah. yes, who I have listed here later on. We'll talk about what he did in that game. Uh, the 7-10 results, Missouri did outshoot Utah State and pretty much ran away from them in that 7-10. Uh, Penn State's Andrew Funk goes 8-for-10 from 3 they beat Texas A&M by double digits. Northwestern puts Boise State down as the Mountain West, outside of San Diego State, struggled. You had Nevada just get obliterated in the first four by Arizona State. You had Boise State lose in the first round to Northwestern. And then you had 
the team uh, known as Utah State get beat up in the first round of Missouri. So Mountain West pretty much, I mean, San Diego State's putting them on on their back. So, uh, And then Michigan State tried to blow it, but they beat USC. So there you go. Not a surprising result there. Uh, all right. We also have real quick, uh, Arkansas beat Kansas on Saturday in a foul fest. The, uh, <laughs> the Hogs get it done. They are now seeking their third straight appearance, the Elite Eight, with a matchup against UConn. Don't don't ever count the must bus out. How does that sound? It's fair to say, fair to say. Uh, Houston scored 50 points in the second half as they beat Auburn. Kelvin Sampson might be the best – one of the best NCAA tournament coaches currently in the game in the last five or six years that hasn't won a championship because they've won a lot of games in March. Because uh, if you just kind of do a, a little look through here of the last, you know, uh, we'll say since 2018 because they had three years of not making the tournament when he first got there, second round in 2018, Sweet 16 in 2019, no tournament in 2020, but they would have been in, Final Four in 21, Elite Eight in 22, and Sweet 16 now in 23. Uh, so Houston, Miami, a fascinating matchup because whichever team wins will be in the Elite Eight for the uh, for a consecutive year. It will be three in a row for Houston, but two in a row for Miami, um, and that'll be a fascinating game. I I somebody asked Jeff Goodman who a better matchup was for uh, for for Houston between Miami and Indiana, and I said Indiana. I'm a little bit worried about Houston. We'll see though. Um, yeah. I thought Indiana could have been controlled more by Houston's defense than Miami because Miami has like seems like a hundred guys out there that are just super athletic and can make shots. Some of the shots that Isaiah Wong made last night down the stretch and Nigel Pack early, and then Norchad Omir just completely dominated the glass. I mean, Jim Laranega is uh, he may look like Jim Beheim, but he's a way better coach right now than Jim <laughs> Beheim uh, claimed to be. Yeah. Late in the career. Uh, you also had UCLA. They keep winning despite injury issues. Uh, that's three straight sweet 16s for uh, my good friend Mick Cronin at UCLA. Uh, Michigan State knocks Marquette out. Kansas State, I don't know why I wrote Kansas State destroys Kentucky. I guess it just felt like that because they ran away late. Uh, probably because Kentucky had three guys that they rely on that missed 22 shots. Yeah, Calipari um, can't coach. Yeah, I'm glad those Kentucky morons <laughs> go to those – uh, fan those uh, threads and say, hey, get them out. Oh, uh, Matt Painter would be a nice change of pace. <laughs> redneck idiots. So stupid. Uh, holier, there's the holier than thou Kentucky fan who depends, uh, defends Cal Perry to no end. And then there's the redneck morons, for lack of a better term, that, uh, that go on the threads and want them fired after every single game. I will say the results are not good enough right now, though, if you're if you're Calipari, and I say Calipari because I've big cat and those guys say it, so I just wanted to throw one in for him. Shout out! I'm sure they're watching this for sure. FAU ends FDU's magical run in the round of 32, and the Big Ten is down to one team after Miami beat Indiana. Uh, so the Big Ten, if you go, it's a results-based business here. Maryland lost in round two to Alabama, no problem, nothing wrong with that. Then you look to the other side. Indiana loses round two to Miami. Okay, fine. You ran into a good opponent. Fine. Iowa loses round one to Auburn. Bad matchup. Still, Fran can't find a way to win any big game in March at this point, Uh, especially when you had the opportunity two years ago as a two seed and you let Oregon score 90-plus points on you. I know Dan Altman's a Rubik's Cube guy with a lot of uh, March success, but got to find a way to win one there, I think. Uh, play some defense, Iowa. Yeah, Penn State, round two loss to Texas. Fine. Live with that. They had a shot. Uh, Illinois, round one loss to Arkansas. Expected this team, not good. <laughs> uh, Northwestern, round two loss to UCLA. Fine. Nothing wrong with that. We're in it. Michigan State, still in there in the Sweet 16, beat USC Marquette. Very nice. Um, and then uh, Purdue, obviously the the most unacceptable of them all, losing to uh, to FDU in the first round. Did yeah. I miss one? Um, I don't think so. Okay, let's count: Maryland, Iowa, Indiana, Penn State, Illinois, Northwestern, Michigan State, Purdue. Eight. All right, there we go. Good work. 
Matt Painter can't uh, coach against teams that suck. I would say probably seven of the eight results are understandable, or six of the seven results are understandable. I agree. Um, I, I, I don't know what people expect. I mean, expect from the Big Ten. When, this year they shouldn't have expected anything. When they only have two teams you know, t- that are top four seeds, everybody else is eight, nine, ten, fighting for their lives. The seven seed got out. The problem, the problem was 2021 when they had uh, two ones, a couple twos. I agree. And Michigan was the only team that got you there. Absolutely question that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Purdue ruined it for everybody this year. But nobody nobody had any faith in Purdue anyway. Yeah, but you lost to a 16 seed. <laughs> That's the if they would have lost to Memphis, I'd be like, yeah, that's about right. But like, come on, you lost to a team that had a guy that was six six playing the five, and their backcourt was five eight and five nine. Can't happen. Rely on freshman guards in the worst conference in the country, and a conference where St. Francis Brooklyn just shut down their entire athletics program, and they were in that conference. Yeah, and a team that lost to three hundred sixty second ranked on Ken Palm Hartford. 351st ranked on Ken Palm Sacred Heart and 340th ranked Central Connecticut. Fairly Dickens have lost all those teams. Yeah. Um, I I mean and I'm not trying to take anything away from them. Okay. They yeah. they played out of their minds and they were relentless and they were fast. They were faster than Purdue. And Tobin Anderson obviously is a guy that can inject energy into a program. This is his first year. Uh, after kind of dominating the D2, D3 circuits, finally somebody gives him a chance. The guy's making $22,000 a year. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, hell of a job by him. But yeah, and that, Purdue, the, it's unacceptable. The Roberts kid is phenomenal. Dimitri Roberts, yes. Terrific guard. Terrific. That, they never showed it again. I don't know why. When he went to the baseline yesterday and, did, like, started to go the go back up and did that behind the back hesitation to a reverse layup that was that was the best play to me in the tournament so far can he enter the portal and come to illinois (laughs) i'd take him in a heartbeat i don't know about that um well your standards are not as quite as high as mine that's all right i don't know (laughs) if a a five eight guard's gonna work in the big ten how uh Let's let's talk about this uh, Big Ten. We're talking about Big Ten a little bit. Um, so, what side are you on? Because I cannot understand Big Ten fan bases. Because you have you everybody blames the refs, right? But you have people that say that the refs don't call enough, and you have people that say the refs call too much. And I cannot understand how how it can be two separate sides of the. <laughs> I think it's. A lot of it is dependent on the crew. Yeah. Um, I think the Big Ten's problem is more of a play style thing. Um, I agree. Uh, like, I don't think it's the refs as much. Um, I mean, you're going to have refs that call a game lo- looser, and you're going to have them call them stricter. But I don't think that. Like it, it just boggles my mind that there are that like it's completely opposite spectrums is how people view the Big Ten refs. Uh, some people say, "Oh, they don't let them get handsy like they do in the tournament," and then you have other ones that say, "Oh, they, you know, they don't call enough down low or something like." Like I just, I don't understand. I I feel like the I feel like the refs. Um, there have been so many premeditated whistles this year in the tournament. Yeah, like under the basket, uh, things like that. But I don't know. I, well, those are, those are Bardo calls there where, uh, if he misses, (laughs) it's a foul. Yeah. As my good friend Rico Bosco said last night during the Barstool Sportsbook live stream, he said, uh, Bardo from the big 10 network is a hack. So tend to agree with him there a little shot. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the big 10 fans need to stop worrying so much about the officiating. Yeah, it's it's the play style that's killing the Big Ten. And I did see somebody say something. I don't even know who it was. Uh, say something about how the officiating the tournament is an issue because they let them get away with so much more compared to the regular season and teams can't adjust. Okay, why don't you tell that to every single NHL team for the last 
50,000 years that has dealt with the fact that the playoff style but then is have, more physical. But then you have the Arkansas-Kansas game where they called everything. That was horrible. So, yeah. Um, I mean, everybody was fouling out of that game. But, I, I mean, you took Michigan State because of guards. I think guards are a huge part of it. Purdue had freshman guards. They they were relying on freshman guards. Uh, FDU had 11 steals against those yeah. freshman guards. So, also in the Big Ten, you had Maryland had two transfer guards, one mm-hmm. of which was really good this year, Jameer Young. You had Iowa, who has, like, either non-athletic guards or non-scoring guards. Yeah. So that's kind of a problem. McCaffrey probably wouldn't play anywhere else. Yeah, and as great as uh, – well, he'd probably play for, like, Central Connecticut or fairly Dickinson, yeah. <laughs> um, you have uh, uh, Indiana, who as good as – as good as Hood Shafino is, they don't really have another have anybody else. Yeah, and Hood Shafino is a freshman, but he's, I mean, he's an NBA talent freshman. Yeah. That's the difference there. It wasn't his fault they lost. Penn State has veteran guards, mm-hmm. and their guards weren't the reason that they lost. Because, I mean, Funk had a bunch of shots going in and out. They're they're the reason they lost is because Timmy Allen shut. I mean, shut down, but he he could hang with a picket who either you usually have a guard on him or a, you know, not a big body. So I thought that he handled Pickett really well. I think that's why Texas won that game. Yeah. Um, You had Illinois who literally did not have a point guard. (laughs) No guard. At all. And if if they were going to have a point guard, it was a guy who was either pretending to be a point guard or not having any experience of being a freshman. So that was a huge problem. Thanks, Sky Clark. Thanks, Brad Underwood, for that. <laughs> um, and then you had Northwestern. They have good guards. They just ran into a UCLA team that's way more experienced yep. and is has Jaime Jaquez, and they didn't have Jaime Jaquez, I guess would be my thoughts there, uh, who's quickly becoming like one of the mainstays of the tournament the last three years, and he has eligibility next year, so come on back. That's <laughs> um, uh, a Cronin's begging him, it sounds like. Cronin's, well, I'll Cronin might pay him out of his own pocket. Oh, let me uh, <laughs> I'll hit up my good friend Mick here soon and we'll get an answer on that for everybody. Uh, all right, couple coaching changes to talk about real quick here. Uh, Rick Patino signed a six year deal to go to St. John's after uh, losing in the first round to UConn at Iona. So, no surprise here. I thought I think we all thought this was going to happen. Yeah, he's going to have to pull out his map to figure out how to get there. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> uh, no doubt. Um, but, yeah, I think this is a good hire. I think if you're St. John's, you kind of just stop throwing stuff at the wall, get a guy who's proven, who's – I mean, I know whatever happened at Louisville was was bad, but he had a lot of success in the Big East um, before it kind of changed again. So the Big East is at a bit of a different spot. But he can attract the talent. I have to wonder if there's a couple guys from Iona that go with him, similar to – except these guys are way more talented than the guys that went with Shaheen Holloway to Seton Hall, no offense. Yeah. Uh, but, like, you could see Iona. That team kept up with UConn for a pretty long time. For a team that's a a team coming out of a conference that had a 15 seed last year that was not good that somehow got to the Elite Eight. So I think guys like Nelly Jr. Joseph, uh, Walter Clayton is only a sophomore. guy shot 43% from three. And uh, and Denise Jenkins, Dennis Jenkins, denies Jenkins. What a weird way to spell that name. Uh, I wonder if those guys that are still have years of eligibility, if they make the move with them to St. John's. And I wonder who he keeps around there because there's guys that were on the St. John's roster that. That's true. You know, I, they need to make some serious changes to this program. I would think. I mean, Herbello to Hofstra. Sure, sure. I mean, Posh Alexander still has a year if he wants it, maybe even two. I don't even know how the COVID rules work. I think David Jones, who's a transfer from DePaul as well, Curbelo still has a year or two. I don't know how that all works. I think a year. Uh, They got a bunch of guys that still have eligibility. It's about how many guys are going to enter the portal. Because this overall, St. John's was a fairly young team outside of their top couple players. So Mm -hmm. we'll see. Um, And then you have Ed Cooley to Georgetown. Uh, I mean, guys from Providence, been in Providence for 12 years, had some success, and now he's going for the higher ceiling with Georgetown. And Georgetown is ultimately a better job, uh, but 
I think it had to be hard for Cooley to leave Providence. If you're a Providence fan, honestly, if I were a Providence fan right now, I would hate Ed Cooley. You know why? Because they pretty much mailed it in late in the season, and they were not good. And I think he owed it to those players to maybe be uh, a little bit better. And, uh, you know, I've always liked Cooley. It seems like a great guy, but I think Providence fans should probably be booing him when he returns to the dunk with Georgetown. I mean, it, it it just seems like a weird move to me, but I guess. I think it's weird for a lot of reasons, but I don't think it's weird for the reason that people would be like, well, Georgetown hasn't won and they're irrelevant, but like. That's why you hire a new coach, yeah. I mean. More resources, much higher ceiling than true. Providence. Yeah. Um. So, you know. Yeah. No loyalty uh, these days. What I'm interested to see is like there's a rumor about him, him uh, listing his house in early March, but I don't know if that's true. Um, but it's on there now. One point nine million dollar house uh, in uh, East Greenwich, Rhode Island. So if anybody's interested in that, John head Rock. on over to uh, Zillow.com. Yeah, uh, house listed, paper signed on March third, six days before Georgetown opened, is what people. Is what somebody said. Really? Yeah. By somebody, I mean some commenter on that post. But hey, maybe he's right. Very weird. Very weird. Very nice house, though. A little bit too fancy for my liking, I think. Yeah. Got some nice jerseys on the wall. Probably more of that mansion style you keep talking about. Yeah, he's got a nice Chris Dunn jersey when Chris Dunn was drafted by the Timberwolves out of Providence. That's very nice. Built in 2004, so pretty young house. Four bedrooms, six bathrooms. Jesus. Six bathrooms. What did you say it was? 1.2 mil? 1.9. Oh, a lot of my budget. Shoot. Pretty good price. Not bad. 5,815 square feet. <laughs> if anybody's interested, head on over there. Uh, but yeah, Cooley, uh, we'll see. Missions off of this? Or? What's the uh, wish? <laughs> What's the, like, how many years do you think it takes Cooley to get them back in the tournament? I'm going to say with the portal, he can get there in year two. Yeah, I would say two. And does he convince any of those guys to stay, like Primo Spears? What if he goes there and flops? Well, then he will be thinking about how big of a mistake he made. (laughs) And I saw Georgetown fans saying they wanted to make Providence their pipeline. So hire Kim English or Micah Shrewsbury, and if it doesn't work out, uh, for them, or if it doesn't work out for Cooley, you bring in one of them from Providence. But I think Providence is an upgrade over Penn State. No. Okay. And if it, even if it was slightly an upgrade, I don't think Shrewsbury would take that. Yeah, I don't think so. Because Providence, you know, I think Shrewsbury is going to stay. Yeah, I think we're probably heading in that direction. The other thing with Kim English is like I think he's going to be a very good coach one day, but it's, it'd be hard for me as a Providence fan, if I were a Providence fan, to kind of be like, okay, this guy has one top five finish in the Atlantic 10 in two years, and he was in the system for a while, but like, should he be a Big East head coach already? I feel like that's a little bit premature for him. I think it'd be a great hire in the long run, as I tweeted earlier, but I think there is – there is a reason to take a step back and think about why that might not be the best move for Providence, but you're also Providence. So I don't know what you really expect. Uh, Bryce Hopkins is surely gone after this, I would think. So they're, and they already had that Bynum, uh, Jared Bynum guard enter the portal. And I said, yes, I would love him at Illinois. It's a guy who averaged like five assists a game. So nice. that's something that our, our guards don't do. Don't. Uh, any guard, any and every guard I'm interested in uh, for the Illini anyway. All right, now that's out of the way. We'll see what other coaching things happen. You still have uh, – now you got to fill Providence. you got to fill Iona. you got to fill uh, Notre Dame still. I don't know if I'm missing any. You also had Damon Stoudemire go to Georgia Tech. That was a good hire. He did a good job at Pacific before going to the Celtics as an assistant. Uh, all right, the uh, top performers that I have from the first and second rounds here – uh, in the first round, I got four of them. I got Andrew Funk, 27 points, 8 of 10 from three against Texas A&M. Oscar Shibway, just because it was funny to see eight points and 25 rebounds <laughs> against Providence. Uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner for Creighton at 31 points and seven rebounds against NC State. 
And Julian Strother for Gonzaga had 28 points and 10 rebounds over uh, Grand Canyon. Uh, second round, you had uh, Olivier or Olivier. It's got to be Olivier. Kumwa from Tennessee. I think so. 27 points, five boards over Duke. Uh, somehow Dylan Disu, who if if this is if this guy's going to score 28 and 10 for Texas, they are going to be a problem because that's probably like what their fifth scoring option. I mean, you have Hunter, you have Carr, you have Allen. Maybe he'd be, and then you have Serge Barry Rice. So that's your fifth right there. Uh, and he scored 28 against Penn State. As I alluded to earlier, Jaime Hawkes Jr. 24 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists against Northwestern. Ryan Nimhart of Creighton, 30 points, 2 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals against uh, Baylor. Marquise Noel, who Calipari classingly referred to as that little guy from Kansas State, 27 points, 9 assists in the win over Kentucky. And then John L. Davis from from FAU, 29 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, and it was either 5 blocks or 5 steals. I don't even know. So... (laughs) Shout out to him. I just wrote five. Let me uh, let me give it a, let me give it a look here. Five steals. There we go. He's six foot four. What did I expect? Uh, all right. You got you got anybody else you think of? Nope. Good. Moving along. I didn't get a I didn't get a rundown on what was going on. So. Well, I didn't think you wanted one. Well, I was gone all day. So I'm exactly. Just, yeah. just here, just here to <clears throat> add light banter to your commentary yeah and if people are interested in uh playback.tv i'll be on there thursday for sure and friday probably for sure and probably saturday and probably sunday maybe not the entire time each time but uh be advised for that for and if you uh-huh. yeah for sure whatever that whatever yeah um for a game or two huh yeah maybe maybe all on thursday and if you like baseball golf are you golfing if you like baseball I will be on there for the uh, World Baseball Classic Championship game tomorrow night at 6 o'clock Central. China versus Japan? Uh, The winner of Japan and Mexico will take on the United States. If the U.S. was not in it, I would not be doing this, by the way. Uh, All right. Moving along. Make sure to join on playback. Uh, Yeah. .tv. Yeah. Uh, Looking ahead to the Sweet 16, some stats, some numbers, some thoughts here. Uh, Alabama, San Diego State, Creighton, and uh, those three teams have never been to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Princeton has not been to the Final Four since 1965. One of them will reach out of the South region. If you rank them in terms of likelihood for me, I think it's easily Alabama the most likely, Creighton the second most likely, Princeton the third most likely, and San Diego State fourth, because I don't think San Diego State has a chance against Alabama, but that's just me. Um Kansas State has gone from 10th in the Big 12's preseason poll to the Sweet 16 to face Tom Izzo in Michigan State. Notable headline there. Uh, FAU has won 20-plus games twice in program history. They went 21-11 in 2010-2011, and they missed the tournament that year. And uh, this year they are 33-3. So quite a a number there. Can you rank uh, those, those four? likelihood of making it to the final four for me in the uh in the in the east region yeah i like that you can give me everyone all right uh we're gonna go uh uh kansas state number one okay we're gonna go michigan state number two tennessee three fau four so whoever comes out of the kansas state michigan yes state yeah yep very confident in that okay uh over to the Midwest region, Houston is seeking their third straight trip to the Elite Eight and their fourth straight trip to the Sweet 16. Uh, Miami is also seeking their second straight trip to the Elite Eight. Uh, I did not yeah, – okay, yeah, I wrote that weird. Uh, Xavier's last Elite Eight appearance was 2017, and then Texas was 2008. I believe they lost to Memphis in 2008, if I'm correct on that. And also, Texas, don't be confused, because that was uh, they went to round two in 2007 with Kevin Durant, and then he went to the draft, and then they went to the Elite Eight the next season. So uh, in that region, I would say Houston is number one in terms of likelihood to get to the Final Four. Um, I would say Texas is two, Xavier's three, Miami's four. So pretty straightforward there. 
Um, <laughs> right, right in order. So yeah. what do you, what do you consider more chalky? A one, two, three, five, or an eight, two, three, four? One, two, three, five. I, I would agree because Kansas losing to an eight, you know, it's kind of and Arkansas ceiling though is probably a two or a three if they had a good regular season and they were healthier. But uh, you know, Moss is putting the pieces together. Uh, speaking of which, Arkansas is uh, seeking their third straight trip to the Elite Eight, and UConn is in the second weekend for the first time under Dan. Earlier, remember this is a UConn program that was in the American Athletic Conference for a little bit before returning to the Big East. Uh, they won a national championship not that long ago. People forget, right? So That's two national championships. As an eight seed or something. Yeah, that was twenty fourteen, I believe. They were a uh, an eight seed. Um, let me see. Uh, actually, they were a seven seed. They yeah. beat Kentucky, and then uh, two thousand. Uh, what was it? Twenty eleven. Yeah, twenty eleven. They were a uh, three seed and won the national championship. So under two different coaches, Jim Calhoun was still there back then. Kevin Ollie, who turned out to be a not good coach, <laughs> then did it again. So I think we should also consider uh, Jim Calhoun to be Mister March if we're talking about Tom Izzo. I mean, I think Mister Calhoun's resume speaks for itself. That's true. Just to look do it up real quick and tell do you everybody think that UConn run made people favor uh, the champions of the tournaments of their conference more now than they used to in the past. No. Okay. Because <laughs> I mean, people talked about how hot Duke was, and a lot of people had them going places. Uh, well, it's people who are stupid, like okay. me, idiots. Yeah. Like picking Arizona, sure. Yep, I said like me. Um, no, I was I was telling people why like you though. Right. So Jim Calhoun won three national championships, went to four Final Fours, and a national championship was won with his guys two years later. So that's two more championships than Mister March, as we call Tom Izzo. I know that uh, Izzo's been to what fifteen Sweet Sixteens. I mean. 15 and what 27 years or something yeah i mean i'm not i'm not impressed with that yeah i'd hate to go you know every other year that'd be brutal hope illinois never does that 9 10 11 12 13 uh he went to 13 calhoun went to 13 sweet 16s but he also made the most of it by winning national titles. So something that Izzo hasn't done in a billion years. I'm not discounting Izzo. He's making me look good right now. Uh, <laughs> and then Gonzaga will play another tournament classic or a potential, maybe another tournament classic after 2006, 2021, something that I mentioned in the bracket breakdown coming true in the Sweet 16. So dreams do come true, folks. Uh my rankings here is going to throw everybody a little bit, I think, but maybe not too much. I'm going to say Gonzaga is the most likely. Then I'm oh. going to say UCLA is the second most likely. Then I'm going to say Arkansas is third. I'm going to say UConn is fourth. Really? You yeah. were a UConn guy for the whole season. Wait till there's a game where they're playing an elite team with elite scorers on the other end, and Jordan Hawkins can't make a shot. And Sonogo is getting shut down. Uh, yesterday, you tweeted out that Gonzaga was worrying you, and then you put them first. To- then they picked up the pace and put on a clinic against TCU in the second half. Okay. Gonzaga has a lot of scoring, and I think that's going to hurt some teams. Yeah. Like even if Timmy's not dropping twenty-five, Strother and Bolton and uh, Hickman and 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 uh, 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 Watson is not really a scorer, but he can you know muck it up around the baseline and such. I think the winner of Gonzaga-UCLA gets there. I, I think UCLA, I don't know what more they can prove that they can still win games without Jalen Clark. So, And if Singleton is okay, which I think he is after the ankle roll. Sounds, sounds like it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, why not? Uh, UConn, I, I still don't trust. That's good. I would love the Arkansas-Gonzaga matchup. That would be fantastic. Had that in the uh, Sweet 16 last year. All right, sure. uh, Sweet 16 predictions here, or uh, matchups and predictions. Um, 
So the first game is Michigan State, Kansas State. That's at 5.30 p.m. Central Standard Time on TBS. That'll be from Madison Square Garden in New York, New York. Uh, talking like Rick Pitino there, if you heard his interviews during the game. Uh-huh. So I don't really know how I approach this matchup. Um, on one end, you have Jerome Tang, who had a lot of success at Baylor as an assistant his first year at Kansas State. On the other end, you have uh, fake Mr. March, because Jim Calhoun's real Mr. March. Uh, Tom Izzo, um, who has had a lot more success, it seems, with the six and above seeds in recent years. Um, And this is probably a bit of a different team than what he's had in the past in terms that have gotten there, because it's like Tyson Walker is a veteran guard, but he's also played at Northeastern for a few years, so that's kind of a different, different look. They didn't really have the Cassius Winston, Xavier Tillman inside out thing that they had going there for a while. But either way, they're here and uh, they beat up on Marquette a little bit there in that uh, second round game. They're not only here, they're the favorite in this game. That's not overly surprising given who their coach is and how much of a factor that everybody thinks that he plays, which, I mean, he's not <laughs> rolling the ball out there. You see how tall he is? He get dominated out there. See how short he is, I guess what I should have said. <laughs> uh, but in terms of the, the metrics, uh, both teams better defensively than they are offensively. Michigan State is 38th on offense and 31st on defense. K-State is 47th on offense and 17th on defense. But don't make that out to be something that it's not because Kansas State can still score the basketball. They have plenty of scoring. It's just they're not very efficient. Yeah. Uh, but three-pointer – Percentage could be a big factor here. Kansas State 195th, Michigan State 6th. Uh, and Michigan State doesn't really take a lot of threes. They just make them is usually how this goes. Because they, they're they 268th inside the arc in percentage scoring. So It, it impressed me that K-State made them when they needed to, though, against K- Kentucky. That is correct, yes. Um so we'll see what happens this matchup. Uh, I'm going to give you a final score. I'm going to say Michigan State wins at 71-66. I'm going to say that uh, Walker and Hogard and Hauser and Aikens are making the shots they need to make. And I'm going to say Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel come up just short. I'll take K-State. No score. All right. Uh, zero, zero. Arkansas-UConn. Second game of the night. Whoa. But lost that. Uh, that is at uh, six fifteen p.m. Central Standard Time on CBS from T-Mobile Arena in Vegas, the home of the Illini's brilliant victory over the Bruins in November. Uh, so, yeah, must bust Danny Hurley, maybe the craziest coaching matchup that we're going to see this year. Uh, really yeah. taking it up a notch. Yeah. So, uh, I like Arkansas's talent because who wouldn't? I worry about UConn's kind of out of control. If we're not playing through Sonogo and Hawkins isn't making shots, we might be in trouble style, even though I do think that we do sometimes underrate Naheem Aline and uh, and Tristan Newton, the other two guards. So, uh, And then they do have you know Caravan and, and Joey California off the bench that can make shots. So UConn has probably more shot makers than I give them credit for, but I think – a big thing is how hard I rode UConn the last two years going into this year, and they let me down both times, and I still can't trust them. So <laughs> I'm not going to pick them to win any game the rest of the tournament, I don't think. Wow. So with that said, I'm taking the uh, Razorbacks 69-67. It's going to be 67-66, and then Ricky Council dishes it right to Anthony Black, who dishes it to the corner for Devo Davis, knocks down the lefty three ball, goes like this. Muspus takes his shirt off, bada-bing, to the Elite Eight. Go the Raverbacks, as some would call them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll take Arkansas because I need them to win. Um, and Devo Davis, the amount of emotion he showed after that game, um, it, it seems like he really wants this. So, uh, well, people are saying that, like that. People are saying that Arkansas may have uh, blown their load with with Muspus taking his shirt off and and going a little bit too hard after that game, and maybe not showing the proper class that Kansas fans expect from. Uh, oh, we're Kansas. We're coached by Bill Self. We definitely don't cheat ever. We're Kansas. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. Uh, all right, we got Gonzaga, UCLA. 
Okay, never mind. That's out of order. All right, we got. Uh oh, broke it. Okay, we got uh, FAU Tennessee, 8 p.m. Central Standard, TBS, Madison Square Garden. If you would have told Florida Atlantic at the beginning of, this, beginning of the season they'd be playing a Sweet 16 game at MSG, you'd have been like, all right, here we go. Uh, but, yeah, this is a Tennessee defense that's ranked first in the country and an FAU offense that's ranked 30th in efficiency. And FAU has the advantage, I think, when Tennessee has the ball. Tennessee's 60th in efficiency. FAU can defend. People might look at this team and be like, eh, they're a Conference USA team. Those teams don't play defense. You would be wrong, sir. Uh, 36th in the country in efficiency is FAU. Big factor here, Tennessee, 218th in three-point percentage, 162nd in two-point percentage, 213th in free-throw line percentage. They rely a lot on defense. So I think if if uh, the likes of John L. Davis can score some points, you also got uh, Elijah Martin, who's a 37% three-point shooter for the Owls. And you got uh, Brian Greenlee, who's a 39% three-point shooter, and Nick Boyd, who's 38%. So they got some guys that can that can knock down the triples on top of the fact that John L. Davis is 39% and can score around the rim 54% and two-point percentage. So defense, how Tennessee defends is going to be a big factor. And I think the officials are also going to play a big factor because Tennessee's very physical. Flopapowski of Duke tried to get some calls early in that game yeah. and struggled to do so. Uh, but you have a balanced offense with Florida Atlantic, 41st in both three-point and two-point percentage. So I think everything here tells me to take Florida Atlantic, but I'm not going to do so. I'm going to take Tennessee 62-55. I think their defense a bit too suffocating. And I think Vescovy or Kumwa or somebody of that ilk will score some points for them when they need it most. But I would love to see FAU win this game. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Uh, I, I don't know if FAU has enough. Uh, I'm going to go with Tennessee, um, and I feel bad for the FAU kids because apparently everybody hates them now because one guy tried to pull off a really cool dunk at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, who cares? Sorry. I Sorry just can't. Really I can't get mad about that. If you would have done that against Purdue, would people have been mad? No. Exactly. Uh, let's also toss this out there for everybody. Dusty May, FAU's coach, closed his press conference last night by saying, we're going to study Australian rugby rules and get ready for the, for the Vols. And I tweeted about this. I said, I find it interesting how fans will adjust their values or general thoughts of basketball based on their team that season. Purdue fans are an example of this. They'll defend almost any wrong. Tennessee, too, it appears. Like, like Tennessee fans saying, oh, I hope Plafsich elbows that kid because uh, – they, they they just they, they defend the dirtiness. Yeah, I mean, what like it's so stupid. Pathetic is what it is. Like, just go ahead and start with the Vols three fouls on Euros naturally, or uh, don't forget football helmets and shoulder pads. Or I hope Plafsic clobbers Martin to start the game for the end, for that end of game dunk stunt. Who the fuck do you think you are saying that? I mean, shut the <laughs> hell up. Right. Uh. Yeah, so that just annoys the hell out of me that Tennessee fans will just defend anything as long as they're like, I I, I would not do that. I, I think some Illinois fans probably would, but I would not do that. <clears throat> anyway, so Tennessee is my enemy number one this week. So hopefully the Owls take care of those bums, talentless losers with a loser for a head coach. Moving along. <laughs> By loser for Rick Barnes, I have a lot of respect for him. He's had plenty of success, but... Some teams he should have gotten a lot further with. I digress. Gonzaga UCLA, my most anticipated game of the week. My good friend Mick Cronin manning the sidelines for UCLA uh, and Mark Few on the other end. You got veterans and mainstays of the tournament over the last few years like Jaime Akis, Tiger Campbell, Drew Timmy. You got two programs that have battled it out in 2006 with the Adam Morrison Gonzaga team that lost after UCLA scored the final 11 points. You have 2021 where Jalen Suggs hit the half-court buzzer beater. And their other tournament matchup was nothing to write home about. So let's make this a best of three. This is the third game between the two. I mean, it'll be interesting. It'll be in Vegas. Should be a great environment there. I think UCLA fans will actually show up to Vegas this time now that it's March. <laughs> yeah, they, they um, show up in March apparently because there weren't any any back in December. It was November, November. and it was football season, dude. Okay, They had a decent team. Yeah, how many people come out to those? Nobody, all right. Uh, <laughs> Gonzaga offense is number one. UCLA defense is number two. That's the tail of the tape here. 
Uh, Gonzaga has not defended well in their first couple games. They did lock it down a little bit in the second half against TCU yesterday, but a little bit worried about the defense, 76 in the country in efficiency. And uh, without Jalen Clark and with a banged up Adembona and a banged up uh, David Singleton, who are both, I'm sure, going to play. Yeah. I find it hard not to sit here and trust UCLA, but the numbers are telling me to take the Zags, and I'm going to take them. Uh, I'm going to take them uh, 77-72. I think this will be a close game, maybe 72-72 before Gonzaga. Timmy makes a big shot, five seconds left. UCLA misses, rebound, free throw. UCLA misses, one second left, two free throws. Guy makes one, misses the other, so it's a five-point game. I should have just gone about that a different way. Speed ever. Right. Uh, who was rolling the ball down the court last night when the clock was TCU. still going? Was it TCU? I thought it was Indiana. Oh, I thought you were talking about the end of the game. Well, Indiana was letting the ball roll while the clock was running. So that oh, was kind of weird. Makes shocking. no sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Sorry I'm going to take Gonzaga. I'm going to take Gonzaga, even though it would be better for my bracket or – because it, I'm going to take Gonzaga. It would be better for my bracket if they won. But, of course, I'm rooting for my good friend Mick Cronin to win this game. Uh, I'm going to take UCLA in this game. I, I, I hope just, you're right. Uh, Gonzaga's offense, I, I know that they you know have figured out the second half, but um, I don't know. I, they scare me. And if they win, if Gonzaga wins, I'll be happy anyway. So give me UCLA. I am a big Hawkes Campbell guy. Uh, this is probably the West Coast team that I've watched the most over the last three years. So I want UCLA to win, obviously, um, and I hope they do. Uh, San Diego State, Alabama kicks it off on Friday, 5.30 p.m. Central on TBS from the Louisville KFC Yum Center. Uh, we'll be seeing Sky Clark throw it down in those parts uh, when they go 5-39 and 39 next season. Somehow <laughs> played 44 games. Uh, San Diego State making their first trip to the Sweet 16 in a few years, I want to say. I haven't even done my research on this one, but I feel like they got there a few years ago, right? Had to have. Um, right. Yes. Let's see. 2014, it appears. Yeah, 2014, last Sweet 16 appearance. Not under, uh, under Brian Dutcher. This is the first year that they've gotten out of the first round with him. Um, but the point still stands. They've been uh, they've been good, and they really locked Furman down. In terms of Alabama, we know them uh, just about as elite as elite gets in a lot of ways. Um, probably the second-best tur- team in this tournament in terms of Metrics, even I mean, they are second on Ken Palm, but I think UCLA is pretty close, and Houston's the best in terms of that. Uh, but I think the big thing here is how is San Diego State going to defend Alabama's guards? Because I think if you can frustrate Sears and Quinterly, then you're like, okay, Brandon Miller is going to get his. Try to try to slow down Noah Clowney a little bit, and you got a chance. I mean, you look at the defensive effort. I know there's a huge gap between Furman and Alabama, but. San Diego State's defense has only gotten better this year because when they were in Maui, it did not look good. And now they're fifth in the country in efficiency. So I think San Diego State's got a chance. However, I think Bama pulls away late and wins by 10, 70 to 60. Yeah, I think Alabama, uh, best team in the tournament. I I think they're going to win it all still. So give me Alabama. <clears throat> I wouldn't be stunned if we have one one seed left in the Elite Eight. I'll say that. And I wouldn't be that surprised if there were a zero just because of how most of this tournament hasn't really made much sense to this point, except for the, uh, I think the West region, which lost Kansas in round two has made the most sense. Yeah. So that's where we're at at this point. Uh, we got Miami Houston, another very anticipated game for me. I will definitely try to be on playback during this one because this is going to be a battle of athleticism and length and rebounding is what this is going to be because you have Houston who's the fourth best offensive rebounding team in the country versus Miami who while they're 59th Norchad Omir was all over the glass last night against the Hoosiers of Indiana and by the way what I found what I find maybe the most hilarious thing is that Trace Jackson Davis or TJJ as he's known around these parts um, he has let me look up his rebound or his uh, block total total blocks so he has the most blocks in the history of Indiana's program 
with uh, 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 with 270, right? 270 blocks, most in the program history. Then you look elsewhere, and you're like, okay. Uh, Anthony Davis at Kentucky had 186 blocks in one year. So, not that impressive there, TJJ, okay? Not that impressive. But anyway, it just goes to a whole disrespect thing where people pretend that Anthony Davis isn't one of the best players in the history of college basketball because he played one season. Who cares? You know what he did in that one season? National champion, instantly all-tourney, all-region, most outstanding player in the tournament, player of the year, Wooden Award, Naismith Award, Consensus All-American, Rupp Trophy, whoever the hell that is, SEC Player of the Year, All-SEC, All-SEC Tournament, All-Defense, All-Freshman, SEC Defense Player of the Year, SEC Rookie of the Year in one season. He averaged 14 points, 10 rebounds, 5 blocks. Okay? So everybody can shut the hell up about saying that Anthony Davis isn't one of the best players in the history of college basketball. He had two games with eight blocks. He had seven games with seven blocks. He had six games with six blocks. Okay? He played like – he had like maybe eight games where he didn't have uh, more than three blocks. What are we doing? How stupid are these people? That's what I said on the thing where it had like the nine players like pick three. And I was like, if you don't pick Anthony Davis, you're an idiot. Yeah. Like, Trey Jackson Davis, TJJ, has the most blocks in the history of Indiana's program, which is a pretty storied program, right? He has what? Are, how many blocks did I say? He had 270? Mm-hmm. He had 84 more blocks in three years than Anthony Davis had in one season. So let's all relax, okay? It's all relaxed with this Anthony Davis thing, this slander where it's like, oh, Carmelo Anthony. Who cares about Carmelo Anthony? (laughs) Moving along. Miami Houston. Don't know how I got there. Uh, Miami Houston. This is a CBS game. This is in Kansas City, Missouri, T-Mobile Center, home of the Illini's beautiful victory over Kansas State last season and their loss to Cincinnati by 20. Anyway, uh, give me Houston 67-66 in a thriller. Uh, give me uh, Miami. By the way, Miami had uh, 20 offensive rebounds last night. <clears throat> Norchad Omir had eight. They out-rebounded the Hoosiers 48-31. to 31. They fly at the basket. So does Houston. This is going to be fun. Yeah, uh, It's going to be probably the most athletic game of the tournament, I would say, is these two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Princeton and Creighton, 8 o'clock TBS from Louisville. Uh it's going to be a fun game. However, I think Creighton's offense a little bit too high caliber, a little bit of a different level. Uh, they can score in ways that Missouri can't score because they have a seven-footer. Um, and they have a guard in Nimhard, Ryan Nimhard, who came back after a good freshman season, was hurt in the tournament last season, back healthy. They also brought back Trey Alexander, Arthur Kaluma, Baylor Shireman comes in. He's been a really solid scorer for them. So, uh, yeah, I think Creighton runs away 84-70. Yeah, I don't think this is – I think Princeton's runs over. Give me Creighton by uh, 22. Well, disrespectful of your guys there, but that's all right. I'll show them the proper respect. Uh, Xavier and Texas to cap it off Friday night, 7.45 p.m. Central. 8.45 p.m. Central, my bad. Uh, CBS, Kansas City, Sean Miller – has Xavier back in the Sweet 16 for the first time uh, since, what was it, 2017 with Chris Mack, maybe, somewhere around there. I'm not even going to look that up. I don't really care. Uh, and then Rodney Terry, the interim coach at Texas, has them in the Sweet 16. And Texas kind of going against the two-hot factor. They uh, won the Big 12 tournament, and here they are after uh, beating up on Colgate, who usually gives teams a pretty good game in the tournament. They didn't really – let them do that. But however, can you really say the two hot factor when Texas had lost three of six going into the Big 12 tournament before winning three in a row? I mean, I don't know if we can really say that, to be fair. Um, but it should be a very fun game. I think this is a game of guards is how I describe it because you have Sule Boom, Colby Jones on one side with a guy like Adam Kunkel who can make shots, start a five for five from three yesterday against uh, against Pitt. You have Tyrese Hunter, Marcus Carr on the Texas side. Then you have a guy like Serge Jabari Rice, who is the best six man in the country. Guard is going to be a big factor. Another big factor is Jack Nungy, the big man for Xavier, and who is guarding him on Texas's side. Is it going to be 
Disu, is it going to be Mitchell? Very curious to see how they handle Nunji, who was a big impact in their game yesterday. Because Disu usually kind of plays the five for them. He's 6'9". We'll see if he can handle Nunji. Disu coming off a game where he had 28 points, 10 boards. Um, I think rebounding will be a big factor. Texas has one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, and Xavier has one of the best offenses. It's seven versus 10. Xavier's offense versus Texas's defense. Excuse me, don't know what that was. Uh, 67-61, Texas wins this game. And we'll have an all-state Elite Eight in the Midwest with Houston. Yeah, I like Texas uh, in this one. So I'm going to take Texas. Been been uh, hot on Xavier, but I'll take Texas. This so. uh, watchability. Watchability index here, real quick, off the top of my head. Watchability uh, ranking for Thursday and Friday. We're already past an hour, so I'm not just doing this full time. It's something that came into my head. <laughs> uh, Thursday's best game is Gonzaga UCLA. I need a, a darker pen. Hang on. So I'll grab a blue one, which is barely darker. Okay. Uh, that's the best game to watch on Thursday. The second best game, I'm going to say Arkansas UConn. Third, I'll say uh, Michigan State, Kansas State. And I don't even know if I want to watch FAU Tennessee. That's going to be ugly. In terms of that's the way Tennessee plays. Yeah. Uh, on Friday, number one for me is Miami Houston. Two is Xavier Texas. Three is SDSU Alabama. Four is Creighton Princeton. Creighton uh, could be a shootout. Creighton Princeton though. It could be. I mean, Creighton has scored a lot of points in the first two games. They might have the most points of anybody in the first two games because they exposed Baylor's weak defense. Scoring 85 in the first game, they scored 80 uh, or 72 against NC State. So, you know, one thing I noticed is like Gonzaga 82 84. Okay, yeah. Well, other than that, Gonzaga <laughs> cheated, though. I have it on good authority. Uh, so let's just think about this. The parity in this in this sport at this point is getting to a point where we don't even see one seeds completely embarrassed 16s like they always used to. Like you used to see, I used to remember getting home from school, looking at the screen, North Carolina like 110 to 61 against the, against the 16 seed. That doesn't even come close to happening anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, Kansas and Alabama kind of did, but. But it, not in the same, not in the good old, not in the, uh, the, I mean, 70, uh, 96, 75, get up 75 points. Come on. That doesn't, that didn't used to happen back in my day. 96, 68, I guess that could be considered that, but like, come on, let's just, let me just pull an example here. Uh, let's go 2010. No, that's not a good one. Let's go 2010, uh, Kansas. My day. <laughs> 2010. <laughs> Okay, that's not a good one either. God damn it. Uh, 2010 Kentucky. Let's go there. Kentucky, that's not a good one either. Uh, 2010 Syracuse. Nope, that's not going to do it. All right, let's go 2009. Let's yeah. let's go 2009 North Carolina. Here we go. They beat Radford 101 to 58. That doesn't happen anymore. There you go. That's probably the score that I came home from school seeing, honestly. <laughs> that's the one that sticks in your mind. Yeah, it's just it just doesn't happen. And, it's, and I guess it's good for the sport, but then again, it's like, how many fraud coaches are going to win national championships because their teams got hot? Sure. We used to get the cream of the crop. I mean, I'm not asking for it. I just think that sometimes we need that, but that's all right. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't really care. Uh, but anyway. On a side note, uh, our initial off-the-cuff bracket that we did together still has all four Final Four teams. That's why you don't you think when you do a bracket. I'm going to guess Alabama. Did I push hard enough for Michigan State? You did not, no. Damn it. So, K-State? Uh-huh. Uh, Gonzaga? Yep. And probably Houston or Texas? Xavier, actually. Mistake? Okay. They're, they're going to go. <laughs> uh, that's why you don't think when you do a bracket, I guess, huh? That's right. Don't that's think. My, that's my best bracket out of the three that we did on ESPN. There you go. Uh, all right. We will be back. I want to do an Elite Eight preview before Saturday's games, I don't know when those games are going to be Saturday, but there's only going to be what two games a day, so it won't be, or yeah, two games a day, so it won't be. We'll have time, Saturday, um, yeah. yeah, so we'll, we'll try to do that, and then we'll also have playback. I'm sure you'll be able to join me at some point Thursday or Friday for some of those games, uh, tentatively, 
Um, but yeah, I'll definitely be live for the first game both days, Thursday and Friday. Playback.tv. Let me just type it on a banner here so people can type it in easily because it's not like a long link like the ESPN tournament challenge uh, banners, which are or, uh, links that are about 480,000 characters. So there it is right there. You can join me there. Remember, World Baseball Classic, if you love baseball, <laughs> you can uh, go on there for that. Root on the uh, US of A. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to be doing on playback when college basketball season's over. Probably just sitting there falling asleep during baseball games and NBA games, if I had to guess. Maybe some NHL playoffs. Who knows? I, I know puck. I know ball. It's one of those things. All right. Elite Eight preview and Sweet 16 recap will be coming your way later this week. We'll see you on playback Thursday. And uh, Illini Basketball Podcast, stay tuned. We'll see. We're going to we're gonna do an episode talking about season awards, which is going to be hard to hand out awards for this team. And uh, I think we'll probably dive into the portal a little bit too during that episode. So that'll do it for us, and we will see you later this week. Later.